I serve as one of the pastors here, um, and one of the ways you can recognize me is Mike and I wear the same shirts on a regular basis, <laughs> and uh, they're mailed to us by the denomination each week, and uh, so anyway, but I'm the other person wearing this shirt, if you need to know where the pastors are tonight. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to be here in your presence. It's our life. It's our bread. It's our water. It's our hope. And uh, we do pray, give us your heart. Open your eyes. Open our eyes that we might behold you. And as we behold you, we know we'll be changed. Give us faith to see you. In Christ's name, amen. So we are in this series on what we're called placemaking. And what we mean by placemaking is uh, what does it mean to intentionally shape the place where God put us, shape the place where God put us according to the kingdom and the values of Jesus. That's what we mean by placemaking. And we've been looking at different aspects of placemaking, but for these last two weeks, we've been looking at our context, specifically urban places, cities. Last week, we took some time and just looked at characteristics of urban places. One of the things I mentioned was that urban places, cities tend to be skill centers. By that, we mean that if you look historically, uh, cities have been places where humanity gathers to collaborate, to innovate, to build. It pulls together talent, sharpens talent. And so people will find themselves going to cities if they need to seek that. Maybe uh, they need the most advanced medical treatment, so they have to go to a city or maybe the latest technology that will be radiated out into the world. Some of you were perhaps drawn here because you wanted to be sharpened by that collaboration. So cities become hubs of you know, the best food and the best art. Uh, one of the things I failed to mention last week about our city as I was you know, going through a brief list was that DC is a premier theater town. Uh, really just after New York, uh, for live theater, whether it's Woolly Mammoth down the road, the Shakespeare Theater, Solus Nua, where we have one of our own members who's involved in theater, uh, directs, produces, things like that. But along with this skill center, there's a dark side, because sin always impacts things that are good, and so the city easily becomes a place of overwork, of over-desire and ambition. It becomes a place of exhaustion. It becomes a place where if you don't keep up, you're pulled aside. It feels a lot like, you know, when uh, maybe you were at recess uh, in school and uh, they formed a team and all the best players were out there and you felt like, you know, I'm over here on the side. And so cities can be grinding in difficult places for people. A second part of it are cities are centers of devotion. Now, literally, they were this in ancient worlds, where at the center of these cities, Babylon and even Antioch, you would have worship edifices, 
You would have temples and ziggurats that stood up that, that preached the values of the city. Now, I've mentioned one of the distinctives about our city is D.C. is a city of passion. It's a city of causes. And there's a, a really a wonderful side of that. People come here and they care about what they do. They're not apathetic. They're passionate about it. I sometimes will say to people, folks that D.C. is the city of parades and protests, right? Marked by it. But along with that, we find again a dark side where people pursue their passion and values with religious-like devotion. It becomes their functional God, the thing that masters their life. Maybe it's the cause. Maybe it's their work. The downside is then passions collide. Or you find that people that were meant to be whole human beings become reductions, right? Think about that word, workaholic. You've become just this creature that's about work and not holistic. And lastly, cities are centers of devotion. They've always been cross-cultural hubs of races and ethnicities, and they've often been more merciful to minorities because they can form enclaves and band together, and cities will offer more services to those that don't have the poor. You know, transportation, translation in their language, things like that. But again, the downside is there's conflict within the cultures as we're all pressed together. There's racism, there's hatred, there's hostility. These are some of the characteristics. But what I want to talk about this evening is what does it look like to be called, for us to be called into this sort of place? Three things I want to put before you, and they're all alliterated. That took some work. <laughs> Not a lot of work. You'll see if, you'll say, I don't think that took a lot of work, Glenn. Uh, presence, priesting, and peacemaking. And we're working from two passages. The church in the Old Testament in Israel, when the church was uh, conquered and carried off to Babylon, the great kingdom, and then the church in Antioch, where uh, Christians were first called Christians, a multicultural city of trade. So, first of all, the presence. For years, uh, Christians uh, in modern history saw the city as a place of danger, of temptation, of evil, a place to stay out of. And yet, not much has changed. What do I mean by that? Well, you could argue that whether it would be Babylon or Antioch, they were not safe places to be. Antioch was known as a city of corruption and vice. And of course, uh, Babylon was a place of great op oppression for the people of God, even though they were assimilated in. And yet, God calls his people there. God purposes his people to be there. Is it because he doesn't care about their security and well-being? Of course he does. But he doesn't lead them into a safe place to be. 
You know, all of us are aware we're at a time with heightened crime in D.C. I was reading some stats from MPD, Metropolitan Police Department. And at this point, uh, as of October 27th, there have been 4,463 violent crimes recorded. And uh, that's up 41%. And so there might be a temptation, maybe you've thought about it, to leave. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't have to use discernment and caution, but what I want to point out is um, God will lead his people into dangerous places to dwell and be present. Part of the history of Washington, D.C. is after uh, the riots in 1968, the worst times, D.C. became notorious in the 70s and 80s, right, for crime and drugs and murder. But what happened? Well, aside from the African-American churches that were anchored, the Christians left the city. When Christians leave cities, things get worse. And so we pray and ask God, give us grace to be here because you care about this city. You long for us to be present in the city. And one of the signs you see that God cares about this, he sends, he doesn't pull the Christians out of Antioch and train them somewhere else. He sends one of his best teachers, his best teacher, into Antioch and he trains them for an entire year. Because God realizes this is a strategic place. He sends Paul to train them. It reminded me of a very strategic teacher that just went home to heaven, Tim Keller. In this denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, which was overwhelmingly a white suburban denomination, even though there were some key city churches, like New City Church, over 20 years ago, 30 years ago, God sent a wonderful teacher into the city. And this church is actually a result of that teaching and equipping. We were planted out of that mindset and those convictions. God didn't want Christians to leave the city. He said, no, I'm going to train you and equip you in the city. He wanted them to be there. And so, as we think about God's purpose in bringing us here, we also feel a conflict with our wills, if we have to be honest. Um, You know, it may be, it may be that you don't like being here. It may be that you had to, you got transferred here for a job, you're here for school or whatever, or maybe you're a younger person and you're just realizing all my friends live in spaces where they can run and they have big backyards and lots of stuff, and I don't know if I like to live here. Well... All of us struggle with it, okay? Sorry, I was conflicted in what I was going to say next. <laughs> Too bad. No, I wasn't going <laughs> to say that. But what I wanted to say was, uh, keep in mind, how did the believers get to Babylon? We're told, how did they get to Antioch? They were persecuted. They had to go there. I don't think they wanted to be there. And there are plenty of days, right, where you wake up and you go, I don't want to be in this city. I mentioned that last week. And so we have to pray humbly and say, God, would you help 
make your will my will, right? Because God never does anything casually. The book of Acts says, you know, if we believe that God has purposed things in our lives, do you realize that you are here by his sovereign, strategic purpose? God never does anything thoughtlessly. He's in charge of every hair in your head. He led you here. He led you here. It's his purpose. So we say, God, show me your purpose. Help me not treat the city like an obstacle course I have to get through. Help me to see what you see about the city. Help me to be really present, not sort of like I'm going to just do my time and leave. Especially on the days where it's hard for me. Be open to his will. When God brings Israel to Babylon, he gives them a long vision. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. That's at least four generations. Will we have a church here for four generations? I hope so. Wouldn't that be amazing if these folks here that are eight or nine or ten come back and are the leaders in this church? That's how many of us feel that have been here for 20 years about the young adult ministry. You know, folks have said, I used to be a young adult here. I remember those days. <laughs> the whole church was a young adult's ministry. I remember once someone coming to me. I remember once, uh, you know, someone coming uh, to me and saying, Glenn, can we start a, a singles ministry? I was like, by my looks, I think there's 300 single people here. Now, maybe we weren't intentional about it, but that's what it was. Um, and so you notice that God calls his people not to just sort of mark time. He says, build and live in the houses takes time to plant some gardens. I imagine some of that was hospitality too. He isn't calling for a mindset of transience. But it's not just the length of the presence, it's the depth of the presence, right? To be really, truly present here. I was having a conversation with um, someone that was visiting the church. I've met him a few times. I think he's a roommate of one of our regular members. And... uh, you know, he's in his early 20s, have been here maybe about eight or nine months. And I think it was around Labor Day. And I had uh, said, so what are you doing for the long weekend? Are you going to travel? And he said, you know, I, I had opportunities to travel and, and go away, but I was thinking, I really want to make my roots here. And so I decided I'm just going to stay this weekend. Right? You see, if we have a transient mindset, we're thinking, you know, wh- when can I get away? But the more you own something and love something and become present, it becomes your own. God calls them for four generations. You need to have a long mindset. Like you've heard me say over and over. Now, because sometimes you'll say, well, wait a second. You know, this whole theology of place here, Glenn, what if I'm just assigned here for two years? Am I supposed to feel guilty? What if I was a military kid my whole life? We were just moving around. All God asks us is, be there as long as you're there. Be present as long as you're there. But we also need people to stay. 
I'm so grateful for the people that have stayed. The book of Acts says that God has purposed our allotted times and boundaries to where we live. And so anybody that really understands, okay, I got this Lord who uh, doesn't do anything haphazardly. He's led me here. And so I would say, let there be a really good reason for you to leave. And I'm not saying there won't be legitimate ones. But we need people to stay in the city, to be present. Be open and pray about it. He might send you off. But you might be like this guy I was talking to. He introduced himself, and I said, how long you've been here? And he said, I'm 14 years into a two-year plan. <laughs> I'm just curious. How, how many of you have stayed longer than you thought? Yeah. Let's just be open. We wouldn't have a church unless people stayed. Okay, so presence. We're called to be present, our call to city. But not just that, how should we be present? That's the second thing, priesting. And we get this from pray for the peace of the city. Uh, praying for peace is a priesting idea, right? That's what the Old Testament priests did. They prayed. And so we got a little hint, a foreshadow of what the New Testament will build out as we find in the benediction to him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom of priests, right? The New Testament develops this idea that God's people, as Jesus Christ, the great high priest, has died and ripped open the curtain to the holy of holies, that intimacy and presence that was limited to you know, certain individuals now opens up to all the believers of God's people and they come in and they are now a holy priesthood together. So let's think about that idea for a second. Priesthood also means this idea of being set apart. You are a set apart person. Another way we'd say that is holy. And so we are called to be present in a set apart way in the city. I mentioned that uh, one of the things that Babylon did was uh, once they brought people into Babylon, um, they would then allow their captives to sort of participate in society, gave them new names, so that they would be assimilated into the false gods and the idols of the city. Do so you see this with Daniel's name? And if you, if you conformed, you were well off. If you didn't, you might get thrown in a furnace. And so, you and I find ourselves called, one theologian says, Christians are called to be a particular people. A particular people. Now, where the church has erroneously done this, right, is it just makes it about some sort of superficial subculture. You know, the Christian is some person that uh, grabs onto this sort of political platform or cultural platform, or the Christian is someone that, you know, has this sort of lingo about them or this, you know, lots of different ways. But the other problem is Christians that are basically just assimilated into the culture, in this case, the idols of Washington, right? The idols of the city. But as a set-aside person, a called-out person, we're called to be a particular people in the city or our presence won't have any difference, right? <laughs> if, we, if we hide ourselves and seclude ourselves, we have no impact. If we're just, the, the more we're like the, the idols of our city, we have no impact. 
I was thinking about um, a woman, you know, we're celebrating our 20th year, and so stories have been sort of flooding through my head, and I came upon just a quote from one of our uh, young women at that time. And she said, when I came to D.C., I was very purposeful. I knew exactly why I was coming, to get professional experience in my chosen field. Of course, I knew the church would be a part of that, but the real reason I was coming to D.C. was professional. But then she experienced a change in her years here, a great change in her life. And she said what happened was uh, it dawned on me as I participated in the people of God and the mission of God that I was here to know him. I was here to be a priest in communion with him. And as I did that, she began to get free of her idols, the things that ruled her. To be a set-apart person is I see my primary calling to know the Lord here, to pursue God and know him. In fact, I'll tell you, if you don't do that, uh, cities can be tough. I mean, I, you have to be intentional, intentional about your faith, but I would say there's, I have found there to be a heightened intentionality needed in cities because of the battle, because of the good and because of the idols and all those different things. So we're called to be a particular people here. One of those mindsets I'd mention is we don't just have a transient tourist mentality. The other thing is we're doing our jobs, but we're repenting along the way, right? We're thinking about how do I do this in a distinctive way. The second thing is uh, this priesting is devotion to a corporate life together. Now, I want to take you, uh, we, we had Acts 11. There's a short summary of the church, but before that, there are two other summaries of the church, and they're not just descriptions, they're templates, of what the church was supposed to be like. Let me read one to you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We should assume in Antioch the same thing began to transpire. So, we are at a time, I mentioned this and was reading actually some reports, the data, the surveys of just where we are post-pandemic and Christians. And uh, basically, the data says that now regular church going is one to two times a month. In people's minds, that's the idea of a regular church member. And um, I think that says a lot. I think it uh, talks about how we were impacted in part by the pandemic, but also I think it exposes a particular American way that Christianity is done which is individualistic and private. So the idea is if I'm still having time with Jesus and I've got maybe a Bible study of people I've handpicked, my friends, then I'm doing all right. But I would say that seems far afield from what we just heard, right? 
of what the transforming community of God is like. And that's really the point I want to get to here. Jesus talks about the salt losing its saltiness. How can we be a transforming particular community in the city if we ourselves not present together before his presence? The book of Ephesians says that the church is the fullness. This is an amazing verse. The fullness of God who fills all in all. And as we gather together corporately, his presence comes in a way like no other time. And so we in the city must be a corporate community together. It has to do with so much. It has to do with how we're doing personally and emotionally, yes, but it has to do with the success you will have in battling your own sin, the success we will have, because Jesus said people will know that I'm alive and I'm real because they're going to come into your corporate community. Maybe it's a small group, maybe it's church, and they're going to begin to go, hmm, I don't agree with this. A good part of it seems crazy, but there is something attractive about it. There's something I see about it. So devoted to a corporate life, that's part of priesting. We're talking about setting ourselves apart together. But lastly, devoted to a holy diversity. A holy diversity. In that passage I read from the book of Acts, uh, there was not just, uh, well, let me, let me first go to our passage where it says, uh, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. That was Greek-speaking Jews now speaking to Greek-speaking Gentiles. And so the mission of God gathering, Jesus gathering his intentional cross-racial, cross-ethnic community is at the heart of the mission of God. This is part of the priesting, the mediating that's happening as God is building. And of course, cities are ripe for that because there's so many people pressed together, right? There's this holy diversity that we long for our community. But when you go to that first passage in Acts, we see it's not just racial, it's also uh, class, socioeconomic. It's that community that is It's hard to understand it. It defies categories, right? It's a community that's somehow navigating. It's not that we're not going to have, listen, we are in a town (laughs) where people are passionate. We are in a town where people from many different cultures and backgrounds, we're in a town where people have different political convictions. There's going to be conflict. It's how we deal with it, right? Do we promote Christ where we're able to one another say, you know, because of him and because you are belonging to him, I listen to you. We should listen to everybody, but you're my brother and sister. I listen to you. So it's not set apart. One more thing on this. Set before, and I was already getting at this, priests are go-betweens. They bring people before God. We are in this city to bring this city before the throne of God. This is God's city. The Lord is the Lord of this city. And you know, one of the things that priests do, they're jealous. 
They're jealous about the people of God, the prophet and priest, and we should be jealous for God's glory in the city. And we are putting, pray for the peace of the city means, is D.C. on your regular prayer rotation? Are you praying for the city every day? Praying for the peace of the city. This is what our call is to be placed in the city a set apartness, but also to be an effective priest, you have to know what you're praying for, right? I mean, we don't like it when someone prays for us and they just pray generic prayers, but if someone really knows, have you ever had someone bring you before the throne of God in such a personal, intimate way? You're just like, man, that just moved me. Our city needs us to do that because as God said about Nineveh, should I not care about that great city? His heart is already here. Every Christian could leave and Jesus won't leave. But we're his body. He's called us to be the ones that launch prayers for this city, specific prayers. Lastly, and more briefly, presence, priesting, peacemaking. The Lord calls his people, as we saw, to seek welfare and shalom. The word is welfare means shalom. And it's a wide-ranging word. Um, It's a word that means um, communal well-being in every direction. So, you know, we just had a chance to hear from Steve. And last night, uh, there were some of us at the Little Lights Benefit, which is always such an encouragement. And um, one of the things that it's such a model of, and we, we get to participate in this. This ought to encourage you. Is this, this holistic view of the gospel. You know, people, people need not only a Bible study, they need a job, right? They need, they need to be able to get in college and to stay in college. And so, you know, we're pushing against the temptation in the church that James comes after to say, where you say, bless you, be warm and well fed. That's not Christianity. Anytime we think that it's good enough just to believe the right theology, that's not Christianity. Right? The gospel, the word and deed are together. You find this even as Israel goes back They're allowed to finally go back after all this, you know, exile business. And they they come back to rebuild the temple. Word and deed go to work. Ezra begins to teach the word of God to people, teach the gospel to people. And Nehemiah begins to set the city up so it has safety and functionality, which also meant jobs and food and things like that. God's doing both because both are necessary. This is part of what it means, shalom. This is what it means to be peace. It's a very broad word in the scripture, peace. You know, we tend to, when I, I, I told you every day, uh, when I hear the first horn, I start to pray for the peace of the city. And um, lately, my, I, I've had, to, I, the way I've been praying is I've, I've had to start because, you know, it just, it just never stops. I, I, right now, I am into... Um, one week of five weeks of grand jury service. And um, you know, we don't need any more unrighteous anger. 
in the city. <laughs> like Christians, like if we can do anything, I mean, whether it's not like the way you drive, the way you talk to somebody that's rude to you, the way you pray, whatever it is, this city needs peace. It needs peace. It needs a gentle voice. It needs people that are willing to take a low place and come in. It needs it. And... Um, I, you know, I, sometimes I start talking, I just lose my place. I mean, I was talking about that, and I was talking about peace. Oh, praying for, oh, that's right, praying for the peace of the city. I find myself, because the reason I told you that story is it's easy to just lose faith. You know, it's easy to, and I know it's a smaller city where everything echo, but, you know, when you sit outside, you're like, is there, is there ever a five-minute time where sirens aren't going? Right? Like the song lyric says, someone going to emergency, someone going to jail. It's a city under conflict. It's a city of battle, but that's where the people of God are supposed to be, right? Jesus has won the battle, but the battle's still continuing, and this is where we are. And so when I pray, I have to say, I have to begin with him and say, you are the Prince of Peace. Start reciting verses about peace. He himself is my peace. And that means, you know, I'm reconciled to God. I can go to God like a son or daughter because I have peace with God. But also, we need you to bring peace in the city. I have no doubt if God's people pray for the peace of the city, peace will come to the city. And it, it really is something, too, to see, like, it, it, it's a set weird blessing. But when, when the institutions of the city, like, I, I, I forget where I was, where the, uh, well, maybe it's the latest police chief, but sort of saying, we, we like need the churches to be present, <laughs> right? God has called a whole thing here. But I begin with saying, Lord, bring peace to me because I'm just, I'm just as liable to get in a foul mood. Bring peace to me. Bring peace to the city, but then bring positive shalom to the city too. Not just restraint so I can sit outside without sirens. Shalom. Can we bring shalom, you know, where the prosperity, there, as with the, with the um, coronation song in Psalm 72 about what the king of Israel will do, there's this idea that even the tops of the mountains that are bare will, will, cause, will, will have harvest and growth. Even the bare parts of the city should have growth. But lastly, I keep saying lastly, but really, really, very last point. Who knows how long it'll go, but it's the last point. <laughs> when he says uh, people, right, the prosperity, it, the you is plural. Uh, we're going to get into this a little bit more in two weeks when we talk about a just place. A just place. But um, if you read a little bit about the history of our particular place, Books like um, Between Justice and Beauty, it's an urban planning book, or Chocolate City, like I've mentioned. You don't have to read long to know that there has been a project for a long time to make Washington, D.C. a capital worthy of a nation. That's the idea. The problem with that has been um, it was often at the cost of the weak and the vulnerable, right? Of the poor, of immigrants, largely the African-American community. 
There was, a, there was a venture, there was a project of the beautiful city without the just city. And it's, just, it's a part of our history that you can see today still unfolding because things don't get fixed in a week. They don't get fixed just because we, we said they, they're fixed, right? And so the city is supposed to be a place like that. Now, a great theologian, Meredith Klein, said this about the city. The city is God's provision. It's a refuge in the howling wilderness of sin. An administrated community of welfare for the relief of those destitute by reason of the cursing of the ground. Here's what he's saying, that the city was meant to be a refuge for the howling wilderness. That's what we want the church to be. That's why we need the church in the city. So uh, peace, shalom. You were called to peace. And, and I was thinking, uh, I've closed this, so I'm closing. This is the close. <laughs> and, uh, and I haven't asked this brother if I could share a story, and it's too, I, I want to still find a way to share it, but I'll just say this much. There's a, a brother in our community uh, that uh, in 2001, when he moved into his neighborhood, um, it was, he's a white guy. It was 96% black, open-air drug markets like a lot of D.C. And he said, I prayed, and I asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, I just want you to pick up a broom and start sweeping, start cleaning. And so every day, he would just go out there and clean, clean the street. And uh, the story that unfolds that testimony, he and I have talked, and he had sent me, he had written out his experience. And the story that unfolds from that sweeping the streets can only be God-powerful, transforming glory. Just wonderful, beautiful work. Everything from uh, advocacy for that neighborhood coming, coming forth. You know, as he said, I, as he would sweep around the gangs, he said every day they would threaten my life. But I knew, because I'd spent enough time in cities, if they wanted to kill me, they'd just pull out a gun and kill me. So I knew it was mostly threats. But as I cleaned up the city, I also found knives, and I disposed of those. Right? And the neighbors would look out and go, why is this white guy sweeping our streets? And eventually that led to, well, I want to be a good neighbor. And that led to mutual help, mutual concern, the way community ought to happen together. Um, I'll stop there because it, it, the story is just too uh, encouraging and in-depth to do it justice. But my point is this. Many, many of us come with big impact minds, right? And maybe some self-importance. I mean, I'll indict myself. You know, I wanted to plant a church in a major global city, right? And I'm sure there are a lot of pastors when I first showed up, they just kind of were like, you know, see, if you make it, we'll see you in 20 years. Then you can talk to me about it. But we come with this mindset, and, God, and it's overwhelming. Most people I know are overwhelmed. God isn't requiring so much of us that we can't do it. We feel like we have to do so much, we don't do anything. You know, you don't have to change the whole city. 
What does it look like for you to pick up a broom? I mean, it might be the one widow next door to you. Praise God. Right? We're not after impact. We're after relationships with people. Right? We're after, we're after love because that's what Jesus is like. Jesus didn't just, like, convert us and go, you know, number 256, well, I'm glad to have you in my plan. He called people by name. That's what we all want. What a calling. It's so great to be here. So great to be here. So great to do it together. And be with other churches and brothers and sisters in Christ. Be with organizations like Little Lights that have been slugging it out for 28 years. I mean, praise God. Let this city become famous for those things. Father, thank you for calling us into the city. Thank you for everybody that's here, and I pray they would know you've called them by name here. And Lord, we struggle. There are times we want to be here. There are times we don't want to be here. There's people that have grown up in this city and are so tired of the brokenness of it, just wish they could be transported to another planet. We pray that you would build up our hope, that you would encourage us, you would draw us together in community. And we pray that you would build a beautiful, just city. In Christ's name, amen.